Hey there, welcome to the Clyde Podcast. I'm Willow Weston, the founder and director of Clyde, and today we have Lori Polich short on, and Lori has been a speaker at our conferences as well as speaking all around the nation. She is an author and a part of a teaching team at her church, Ocean Hills Covenant Church in Santa Barbara, California, and she's written several books, but this podcast interview, we talk about her brand new book that is called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing. And we spent a lot of time talking about that place of being in that chapter where you're not where you want to be and things aren't going the way you wanted them to go and you don't feel like God's answering your prayer. And what does that mean? And she lays out some beautiful invitations in this interview that I think will be pretty impactful for you. So I'm excited to hand it to you. Here it is. Lori, it's always so fun to see you and get to be with you. Of course, you've come up here to speak at conferences. We've had you on the podcast before, but today's no different. I'm excited about our conversation. Me too, Willow. You uh, just wrote another book. I mean, you just keep on on putting life-changing content out there, and you wrote this new book. I'd love to hear about what it's called and what inspired you to write it. Yes. Well, you know, I'm an empty nester now, so Willow, you'll be writing a lot too. (laughs) Hang in there. But this last book that I just put out is really something I couldn't have written at any time before now. Um, As I've gotten older and been able to see more of what God was doing when I had no idea what was going on and in the times where it's been very confusing, this book is called Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing. And I will tell you that the publisher initially asked for it to be called God's Good Timing. And of course, we know that God's timing is good, but I really wanted to reach the people that felt like God's timing was mysterious because so often when we're living it, we don't see what he's doing and it feels like a big mystery. So this is 30 biblical insights from the scriptures, Um, but the places in the Bible, as you know, I like to write about those places in the Bible that people don't always notice. And so this book is really about people's stories in the Bible but the parts of their stories that we don't always see that I think give us some big insights Mm. into the way God works. And so the book is very scripture driven. It also has a little bit of my reflections in it and things that I've seen in my own journey and my own life. Um, But it can be read devotionally. And that's how I recommend it, that you read it slowly because there's a lot to digest and there's questions in it for you to reflect on. So I'm really excited about the ministry of this book. Talk to us a little bit. You just said that you write about sort of biblical heroes, people in the Bible and their stories, but you actually write about the parts that we don't see. Can you give us some examples that that help us understand what you mean? Yes. So, for instance, uh, with Moses, I, I, you know, we've all heard about Moses. We usually hear about Moses after the burning bush, which is, in fact, when he's 80 years old. So (laughs) a few things happened before that time. Mm -hmm. We do hear a little bit about his early life, you know, how he was put in the river as a baby by his mother and raised in Pharaoh's palace. But 
when he's about 40, he ends up leaving Egypt because he realizes his own identity. He sees that his people, the Hebrews, are being mistreated. He gets in trouble for helping uh, a Hebrew and defending him against an Egyptian. And so he ends up running away. That's when he's 40. And then we pick up on his story when he's 80. So I asked the question, what happened in the 40 years mm-hmm. between when he left and the time of the burning bush? And it's all recorded in a couple of paragraphs in Exodus chapter 2. But I mine those paragraphs and look at what was happening during that time, because I think we live so much of our lives in these in-between times where we're waiting or maybe thinking we're going to be there forever, which certainly could have been the case with Moses. He was a shepherd, um, but he was a shepherd in the same wilderness that he ended up leading people through. Um, He couldn't have known that at the time, but I was thinking about what God was showing him about the secrets of the wilderness Mm -hmm. while he was a shepherd during all that time and spending a lot of time alone. And he also was taken in by Jethro. If you know his story, um, he runs into some women at a well and helps them when he first gets there to Midian. And they run home and tell their dad, Jethro, who's a priest, and he says, well, go get him. They think he's an Egyptian. They said, go get him and bring him home for dinner. So he ends up getting welcomed into that family. Jethro ends up giving his daughter Zipporah to, to Moses, becomes his wife. And if you know Moses's story after he leads the people out of Egypt and the great story of the parting of the Red Sea, and all of a sudden he's governing all these thousands of people, and Jethro's the one that comes to him and helps him not burn out on leadership, where he helps him establish some other leaders. And so he becomes a very tender father to Moses. And all of these things were happening during that waiting period when Moses probably thought, what, what is my life? <laughs> I'm a shepherd in the wilderness. I'm a nobody. You know, He didn't know what God had ahead. And I think now that I'm older, just looking back on some of those times in my own life and what God was doing to prepare me for what I couldn't see and what I didn't know. And that is really what makes God's timing so mysterious. It's the long view of our lives. So that's just one example. But there are several examples in the book. Mm-hmm. I love, I love that you're writing about this, and I know it deeply is entrenched in your own story. I know you've shared at Collide about um, the years and years of longing to be married and to have kids and to have a family. And that wasn't happening for you. And you just spoke when you were talking about Moses, where there's parts of his story where maybe he wondered, is he going to be there forever? And I'm imagining that you had that feeling for so long. And now you've been able to see what God was doing in your wilderness. How are you seeing God show up and use that story to help other women? Oh my goodness, so much. Uh, I mean, honestly, Willow, I have a ministry to to single people that a lot of people who got married in their 20s and even 30s don't have mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people who are single that don't want to be and mm-hmm. um, feel like they're in a season they don't want to be in. And 
I was one of those people that wanted to be married and then it didn't happen. And then of course, when it finally did happen that I got engaged in my early forties and I was engaged for a year and a half and had the bridal showers and the wedding dress and the whole nine yards. And then it didn't happen that I got married. Um, and almost felt like, even though the story was great, because my fiance actually, um, his ex-wife came back to him, um, that story of reconciliation was so wonderful. But I was like, God, are you kidding me? You know, I'm now almost 43 years old. And how could you think I was strong enough to play this part in this God story? Mm -hmm. And so there were a lot of questions and but I always tell people that that was, for me, the most significant time in my faith journey because I grew in my understanding of who God was during that time immensely. And I know I wouldn't have if my life hadn't fallen apart. And the thing that was so crazy about that time is I was speaking during that time. Um, wow. You know, in the in-between time when my engagement broke up and I got married at the ripe young age of 49, which is every girl's dream, <laughs> but um, it was God's dream for me. And for a variety of reasons now, just seeing how God brought me into Jerry's life, but also into Jordan's life, who was six years old and his mom moved to Australia. So I had an opportunity to be a mom, not the way I had thought or planned. But mm -hmm. so you can see now all of these things, because now that Jordan's grown up, I'm looking at how he's a different person because of the community that we brought into his life and how he ended up becoming baptized when he was 17 and now is part of the worship team and working with junior high kids. And now he's believe it or not, going into boot camp. He's going to be a Marine oh. because he wants to do something bigger than himself. So, you know, you can just see like, that's the thing about God is he's always working in other people's lives, not just your life, but who you are going to touch through your story. And we all know that God uses the hard parts of our stories the most and so I look back on all of those challenges of being single longer than I wanted, of having so much heartbreak, of going through a broken engagement. And I see now how God has really used that the most powerfully to touch and minister to other people. Mm -hmm. It's so cool because you've had the opportunity. It's almost like God gave you this, this sort of unfolding mystery. Now you, now it's not as much of a mystery. You can look back at your wilderness and you can see why you were there. There right. are some people listening today and they're in the wilderness and yeah. they might not want to hear you know, there's a purpose for everything. There's a reason why we're going through <laughs> yeah. this. That You know, they might yeah. want to punch us in the face if we say that. But there is an invitation that you're laying out for people to mm -hmm. rest in God's mystery. What? How can someone do that when they're in a season that they don't want to be in and they're wondering why God isn't answering their prayers? Wow. Well, one of the things that really has helped me, especially looking back, is the fact that I don't regret at all that I lived my life during that time. You know, it wasn't like I sat on a couch for 49 years and just waited for the guy to show up, you know, and lived in my misery of what wasn't happening. I lived my life 
but I also lived very honestly. I wanted it. I was sad sometimes. And you are sad and you have to be real with those feelings. Um, you know, people would say, well, it's when you don't want it anymore that God will bring it. You know, I, I never understood that because I'm like, well, who am I fooling? You know, I could say, okay, I don't want it. But of course he knows. <laughs> right. But I got up each day and instead of focusing on what wasn't happening, I focused on what was happening. And mm. I think that's a huge principle for people is to look at the doors that are opening. Sometimes we're so focused on the door that isn't opening and we just want to will it to open, whatever that might be, whether it's marriage or a child or just some unmet longing in your life. But there are things that are happening in your life and God has you where you are for a reason. And now I look back and I can see all of the stories that I lived that I am so grateful for now that I am married and the door that I wanted to open is op has opened for me. And I also think another thing that I have learned is that sometimes we have these dreams and desires and, and prayers. We have them for a reason. God has put that desire in you for a reason but he may want to meet it a different way than you have in mind. I think we get, we get stuck on the way we want God to work and how we want the answer of our prayer to come and when we want it to come. And it's this letting go of some of those things to say, God, you know my desire. I believe you put it there, but I'm open to how you're going to meet this desire. It might look different than I think. Almost in every case it was for me, because even though I got the prince and he's wonderful and I love him, he came much later than I thought mm -hmm. uh, and wanted. And I got the child and he was wonderful, but he was six and he had a mom. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. These were the things that I didn't plan for or pray for, but God gave me the desires of my heart. They just came in a different package and it was because it was going to impact other people. Mm -hmm. I think you're inviting us to be open to God giving us the desires of our heart or or showing up in our lives in a different way than we think is possible or the way that we fixated on. What yeah. is what does it require of of someone to kind of be open to a new way that God might show up? Well, you know, one of the people in the Bible that really shows us this is Joseph in the Old Testament, because he had that dream of greatness that God put in his heart, you know, but when he came out and, and told his brothers, you know, hey, my star was higher than your stars. What do we, you know, obviously his <laughs> brothers were not that excited about Joseph's dream of leadership. So they end up selling him into slavery. And then he, to his credit, he becomes the best slave he can. And then, of course, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar was the man he was serving. Potiphar's wife came on to him and he rejected her advances and ran out of the house. And she's so mad, she cries rape. So now he ends up in prison. And I can imagine that Joseph was thinking, what in the world were those dreams? You know, why is this happening? But what we learn from Joseph is that prison was actually the path to the palace. He had to be in prison to meet um, Pharaoh's attendants that happened to be in prison at the same time. He interprets their dreams. And then I always like to picture them going, or Joseph saying to them when they get released, you know, don't forget me when you get back to the palace. And of course they do. For two years, he sits in jail. 
but it was all God setting up this much bigger macro story that he was still going to make Joseph a leader. That dream was in his heart, but he was waiting for the right time. And of course, it was then Pharaoh had a dream and the attendant remembered Joseph in jail. And in an instant, plus two years and a whole lot of life that he probably didn't want to live, mm-hmm. he ended up becoming the leader. So what we learn from him is that you can't predict the path that's going to lead you to the dream. Like for me, it was being back in my apartment after, you know, with the shower gifts and garages and my wedding dress in my mother's closet and being heartbroken that I received the call to be, to come up and serve at a church in Santa Barbara. And I wasn't looking for a job, Willow, but you know, that was the door that clearly opened out of nowhere. And I followed that path. And if I hadn't gone to Santa Barbara, which by the way, on a side note, everyone said there's no single people in Santa Barbara. (laughs) So I thought it was a sentence, you know, and of course that's where my whole future was. And so Mm. you just don't know what the path is going to be. And it's holding on to God during Mm. that time. I think this is why we tell our stories to each other. Yes, it's so totally. faith building. It's so faith building to hear your story. I mean, I when I think about the most riveting stories, the most inspiring stories of all the stories I've ever heard of people's life stories, yeah. they're not these. Everything went the way I wanted it to. It was always awesome. God right. was always good. He answered all my prayers. It was super easy. The end. I know a, that's not a good story. No. The stories that we're attracted to. In other people are the story where the plot thickens and just when you think you have victory, you you have, you know, you trip and you fail and there's obstacles and you see someone rise up and overcome and God provides this way. And there's this destiny story that plays out where you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But we right. want, we we want that story where it's just like... It's all great. It's all great, but it's not a good story. Right. No. I mean, who sits in the movies to watch a story like that? And we do have a God that writes some awesome stories. They're just not always awesome to live. And (laughs) and yet, when we look back, I mean, I wouldn't trade one bit of my story, even the heartbreak, because I know that that's been part of the great thing that has happened in my life, Um, the heartbreak And the pain and the joy are together, and they are what make each other, you know, for you to be able to feel all the things that God wants you to feel. Because if you look at the the ministry of Jesus and the suffering he endured, you know, we see that I, you know, suffering is what God uses in this world, and he modeled it for us. He went there first. It's not like he he's, he exists outside of suffering and we are the only ones suffering. But God uses suffering so much in our lives. And just what you're saying, you know, not only to make our stories better, but also to reach other people because it's it's the pain that you've gone through that's going to touch somebody else the most deeply in their life because you think about who do you want to talk to when you're going through something, someone who's been through it. 
And so it is a mystery how God uses us here. But I think if we know, you know, this life is only one part of an eternal story. And one day we're going to see things so differently and wish we had leaned in and lived those hard seasons. Um, and, and so if we can look at it that way, like an adventure while we're living it, I think it just makes it a little bit easier or maybe just we're more willing to live mm-hmm. every aspect of it. Well, and it's interesting because you talk about, you know, you lived your life while you were in a place you didn't want to be, you lived your life. And I know for some people today, like the thing they're going through is just so traumatic and so terrible that what I'm about to say doesn't apply to their circumstance. But I think for a lot of us, when we're in a place where things aren't the way we thought they would be, and we feel like we've begged God, asked God, where's God? And we're in this waiting place for God to almost usher in the next chapter that we hoped for. We almost can make our wilderness more miserable. You know, we're just kind of sitting there and we're making the waiting suck versus Mm -hmm. purposing it. What can I learn? How can I bless someone else? What is Mm -hmm. in the wilderness that will refine me, shape me, give me more character? How is it making me more hungry for Jesus and to be like Jesus? All those things. Like, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to just be like, you're at the party and it's a pity party and it sucks and you're just (laughs) making it work for you and everyone around you. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. No, I love that you decided. It was, it's a decidedness. Oh, and there were days, Willow, that I, you know, everybody has their days where they mm-hmm. they wake up and roll out of bed onto the floor. I literally remember doing that one day. Um, but I think the willingness of saying, it's just like saying, you know, I, I don't have an arm or a leg, but I'm going to get up and live in this body that I have right now. And, you know, I, I was thinking about a story in the book of Ruth you know, someone who was in tragedy. She had lost her husband, her sister-in-law, her sister-in-law lost the husband, and then their mother-in-law lost her, her husband. So there are three deaths. And these three women are just clinging to each other in grief. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think about Ruth's choice to care for her mother-in-law. That was the need in front of her, really. And she did, and she, there was something about her mother-in-law's faith. And I mean, her mother-in-law is saying, go home. You have a cho- a chance to, to meet somebody and marry again. Mm-hmm. I don't. If you follow me, you're, you know, this is, you're never going to find anybody. And, uh, and she, and she says, no, where you go, I will go. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. And little did she know that her mother-in-law, her home was Bethlehem. So she ends up following her mother-in-law into Bethlehem. And as we all know the story of her and Boaz, but it's such a beautiful example of this incredible story that God was weaving. But it was her just saying, I'm going to meet this woman who I love, her need. I'm, I'm going to join her. And I, I love that because I think so many of our decisions are small like that. They're right to do the thing in front of us. Mm-hmm. And then God has the path of where that's going to lead. And so that's one of the insights in the book that, you know, a small path can lead to a bigger path that, you know, you do the small, but God's doing the big mm-hmm. around it. And you have no idea what your decisions, even in hard times, are going to mean in the bigger story. 
When women gather together, showing up authentically as they truly are, messy, broken, and beautiful, amazing things happen. This is why we're so excited about our new Collide and Converse video Bible study. This six-week video series centers around New Testament stories of people having life-changing collisions with Jesus, taught by Collide's founder and director, Willow Weston. This Bible study is designed to be used in a group format and includes everything you need to host a group. So grab your neighbors, coworkers, sisters, or friends and dive into this study together and experience life-changing conversations. We are certain that as you gather with your group, you will collide with Jesus. For all the details, check out the link in the show notes and enter the special code CONVERSEPODCAST at checkout for 15% off the purchase of your course. Oh, so good. I, I'm thinking of this, and I, I hadn't thought about this at all until you were talking, so it's random to share, but my mom passed away last year, and um, my mom was an addict, and I had to move out when I was 15. There's just so many complicated things about it. So when she passed away, the grief, I felt like the wilderness for me felt like I couldn't, I actually couldn't like get out from underneath this fog. Like I just, it was so heavy and it was, it wasn't just grief over my mom dying. It was grief over the entire life we lived together. And I remember feeling like so confused by the whole thing. Did my mom not know she had a problem? I mean, she ended up dying from her alcoholism. Did she not know she lost her only kid? How did she not know? And I'm sharing this because it ties in with what your entire book is about, which is this mystery that I couldn't solve myself. I couldn't understand. And I was so sad about. I, it ended up that I needed like an answer. Like I was so hurting and I turned to randomly uh, like drug addiction counselor. I'm not a drug addict, but I started meeting with a drug addiction counselor because I wanted to understand this mystery that I didn't know if I would ever solve. And it was like, I was hungry in the mystery. And it was, it was how God met me in that place of hunger that Mm -hmm. actually started healing me and I could lift my head up above the fog through Mm -hmm. this woman who could speak to me about what it's like to be an addict. Mm -hmm. That's actually what lifted me. So I think sometimes when you're in the wilderness, there's sort of like a hunger in the mystery that Mm -hmm. helps you experience God there. Yes. That the strange things that lead us to healing or to the next place in our journey or introduce us to people that are going to become so important to our lives. I mean, all of those things, you're living this path, this this relationship that's ongoing with God. It's not just a one-time decision and then you're in the system. It's no, no, no. You you come together with God and it's a whole thing. And your life is going to go through so many things that you won't see until you look back. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it faith. You know, the whole book starts out with the definition of faith, Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So of course it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't see it. We don't mm-hmm. see what God is doing and it's mysterious. But I think these stories in the Bible help us to grasp some of the insights 
that we live now. Um, so many of them live the same thing. So I think that's why I wanted to go to the word on yeah. that. No, it's awesome. So when you when you invite people to rest in the mystery, what are the characteristics of God that make resting in his mystery possible? Well, faithfulness is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if we can't trust him, then we can't rest <laughs> because we don't know what he's going to do. But if we trust that he is a good God and he has a plan for our life and we are part of the story that he is writing here, even when we're in a difficult season, um, it, it it doesn't make it any less hard but it gives you a perspective. In fact, I open the book with the story of Job because I think of of anybody in the Bible, here's a man who suffered not because of anything he did, but he suffered because he was good. We know that because of the first Mm -hmm. chapter, that it's a a discussion between God and Satan. and, And God is essentially saying, have you considered my servant Job? Like he's the greatest guy I've created. And and then his life falls apart because Satan believes that if he doesn't have all the things that he has in his life, that he will turn against God. And it becomes this divine bet. But Job never knows about that. He just suffers the whole book, crying out to the sky. I love that he cries, by the way, because that's me a lot of times. I, I think God can handle it, um, the yelling, the screaming. Because we see that at the end of the book, it was Job that had to pray for his friends that had all the right spiritual answers. But what I point out in the book is that Job never finds out why he suffered, like so many of us. Like, why? Why did this happen? Mm -hmm. But what God does is he takes him on a world tour and essentially lifts Job's eyes to see that he is, it's kind of that feeling you get when you're standing in front of a or in underneath a sky full of stars, which you you guys have up there a lot more than we do, but <laughs> where you see all these stars and you just think, I am so small. I am a part of something so much bigger. And that perspective shift to see all that God was doing around Job at any given moment, like what was happening in creation and all over, caused Job to repent, even though he didn't know why he suffered. He said, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And somehow Job realized that he was part of something much bigger and that he had no idea what the suffering of his life might mean one day in the bigger story. And and what we know is the fact that we're even talking about him right now is that he didn't have any idea what his life would mean because so many people have gleaned so much comfort from his book, his story in the book, which is largely a story of suffering. Because it's not till the last chapter that he gets restored and he never gets the same children restored and the losses are not are not restored. He just gets more things. But that's not what the book is about. The book is about suffering. And I think that's the story that God used so powerfully in Job's life. So again, I think we learn from these people and what they went through mm-hmm. so many things about God that make it a little bit easier to walk through the mysteries. Mm-hmm. You talk about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the bigness of God or the majesty of God. How important is it 
to hold on to the sovereignty of God mm-hmm. and the redemptive nature of God who's making all things new, redeeming all things now and into forever. How important are those two things to hold on to and trust and believe when you're in the wilderness? Well, you know, sovereignty is a, is a hard one when you're going through something horrific to go, well, wait a minute, you know, what is God doing this to me? And, uh, and, and I think where we can understand sovereignty a little bit better is to recognize that we have a God who exists outside of time. You know, we exist in time, so we can't even conceive of what that is. How can God exist outside of time? But he sees everything all at once. So in, in a very real sense, it's God's sovereignty and our human choices at work at the same time, because we don't, we exist in time. So we're making choices, but God sees everything all at once. So kind of knowing that we recognize that what we're living is a a very small part of a much bigger story. And that story doesn't even end when we die. Matter of fact, our life here is just a tiny part of that story. And that kind of puts in perspective, you know, that understanding that God is so big and that we are eternal. You know, when we trust in Jesus, it means we're going to live forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to look back on this life, much like as parents, we look back on all the days that were so long of child rearing. And then all of a sudden they leave our home and we're like, what in the world just happened? Mm -hmm. It was like a flash. And I think we might feel that way when we get to heaven and meet Jesus. It's our whole life is going to feel like a flash. I mean, I'm kind of feeling that as I get older, I'm like, wow, this goes mm-hmm. so fast, but we don't feel it while we're living it. So I think there's this sense of, yes, it's so important to hold on to God's sovereignty and power, but we, we almost can't conceive of how big God is because we are so finite, but that's what makes him God. So I think knowing he's good, that he loves us, that he loved us enough to send his son for us, to die for us, the personal aspect of God helps us trust the bigness of God, if Mm, that makes sense. Totally. You talk about sort of the power of looking backwards, of, you know, when we look back, that's how we can gain courage to trust in the present when it's hard. And rest in God's mystery. And I think that's so true. I'm curious for people listening today who either haven't lived long enough to feel like they can look back and grab hold of something and say, that was God. He showed up. He was yeah. faithful. He He brought me out of something hard. For someone who doesn't have that chapter yet that they can look back on, what's your advice for them? Yeah. I mean, I think we all can look back at least a little bit, even if you haven't lived a long time or haven't been in relationship with God a long time. We can see things in our life that we look back on, even in childhood, that we see differently than we did when we were living it. And I do think that with God's faithfulness, you know, you, you, I mean, I, I have a whole chapter on this, how guidance comes from behind. It's so crazy to think about that, but we have the God of the rear view mirror, but our memory is a very interesting thing because we can remember differently depending on our current stress. So sometimes we're not remembering everything there is uh, that happened 
because we're stressed out now. And I'll give you an example. The Israelites, you know, here they came through slavery in Egypt. They were rescued. Moses took them through. They thought they were all going to die. Then he parts the Red Sea and they go through the sea. I mean, they've just seen God do things that we could never even imagine. And they're singing about it. And then a month and a half later, they're in duress because they're hungry and they're tired and they're thirsty and they don't know where they're going to get their food. And suddenly they not only are miserable and forget that God just parted a sea for them, they're looking back on Egypt and saying, if only we could go back to Egypt. This is an actual verse. If only we could go back to Egypt where we sat around and mm -hmm. ate pots of meat. And I'm like, you, you forgot that you were slaves and you remember what you ate? You know, but don't we do that? And that's why memory is so important. And I think memory happens best with the right community. Because if you're in the wrong kind of community, that's not reminding you of God's goodness and his trustworthiness, because sometimes we're not experiencing in our own life his trustworthiness. And we have to go to church or a place where there are other Christians mm -hmm. to go, oh, no, God still is faithful. I just don't see what he's doing in my life right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm, remind I'm reminded by my community. I'm reminded by communion. I'm reminded by these things of who God is. And that's what I think we see in a good community, that, that the, the memories are always through scripture. And remember, God is faithful. Remember this that happened in your life? You know, I use journals and I go back to my journals when I need to see what, you know, I don't see what he's doing now. And I'm scared and worried. And then I look back and I go, look what he did. But I forget every day. <laughs> I don't know why we're such forgetful people. And I think that's why the Bible says, remember so many times. And I bring that out in the book that why does God keep saying, remember, 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 because we're forgetful people. Mm -hmm. So it's remembering God's faithfulness, but it's also remembering the right things. Mm -hmm. And, and that sometimes is affected by your community. Absolutely. Such a good word. There's so much just gems of wisdom here, Lori. <laughs> I know people are listening and they're going to want to grab a copy of mm -hmm. Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing. How can they do that? So you can get it pretty much wherever books are sold. And the one recommendation I would say, Willow, is that to read it slowly. Read it like a devotional. There's 30 insights and it's not meant to be powered through. It's meant to be a book you can live in and you can do it with friends. I've got a video study that comes with it that's on Right Now Media. Um, or you can just read the book. There's some questions in the book, but I think it's a book that you can kind of have when you need that word or that encouragement when you're going through something that you're like, what are you doing, God? And, and that's what my heart is for this book, is that it would minister to people in that way. Mm. Lori, thank you for sharing your heart with us, your life story, all the chapters, the, the hard chapters, the good chapters, the, the wilderness chapters, the redemptive chapters, also that we can find Jesus in the midst of our story. I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you, Willow. Thank you so much for having me. Hey friend, I hope you were impacted by that conversation. I know that all of us have been in those hard chapters and I genuinely hope that that's not the chapter you're in right now. But if it is, I hope in, in some way, shape or form, this 
conversation that we just had with Lori gave you some sort of hope in the hopelessness or light in the darkness or faith in the doubt. I loved when she talked about different people in the Bible and what we can learn from them. I love the idea that Moses was in the wilderness and learning the secrets of the wilderness. So eventually one day he'd be able to lead people through it. I also love her example of Joseph and talking about, you know, prison being the path. He would have never chosen prison to be the path. He didn't want prison to be the path, but that was the path to the palace. So impactful. Loved it. Took a lot of notes myself. I hope that in some way you ran into God today listening to this podcast. And if you want to keep colliding with Jesus, we have so much for you. Check out our website for upcoming conferences, events. We have online courses, resources, freebies, and so much more. We would love to see you get involved with us. And if you love this podcast and you want more of it, make sure to subscribe subscribe and it will show up in your inbox every single darn week. Have a great one and we'll catch you next week.